Welcome to the Art Within podcast, hosted by filmmakers Houston Coley and Nate Shepard. This is season one, cultivating community in the digital era. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art Within podcast. This is episode six, I think. Every episode starts with us putting a question mark after the... (laughs) <laughs> the number of the episode. We have more questions than answers, so it fits with the vibe. That of the is po- so the true. That's why I did it. It makes sense now. I think it's episode six, and I this believe week, so. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to talk about conversations on the internet, how to have conversations on the internet, the toxicity, or maybe also the positivity. Are those two opposite things? I don't know. The 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 good and the bad of of having conversations online and having having relationships online as well as intertwined with some other, you know, kind of solutions, I think, that we see to that. And yeah, I think this this topic was more proposed by you. And so I'll, I'll just kind of yeah. let you lead the way in terms of why we wanted to talk about this. But I am excited to come up with thoughts on the go because I don't even have any <laughs> notes this time. <laughs> well, I, I've got you covered that way because I've got about a page and a half here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just something, I think it's something that is relatively universal and so maybe sometimes feels like we like old hat like okay we know that the age of the internet has really degraded our ability to have thoughtful conversations and actually how i wanted to approach it is even a little bit more broad i think the the internet obviously is a core aspect to this and certainly there's this big big question that i do want to discuss a little bit of can you have healthy dialogue on the internet but also just more broadly in life and society it feels like it's kind of bled over into other relationships where we just have a lot of this prevailing notion that we are not talking to each other as Mm. well as we could be or as well as we have in the past on a societal level, on a global level, certainly on the internet. Um, I think when the internet first came around, there was a little bit more of an optimism about it. Um, I remember the I was one of the first people uh, outside of college uh, aged kids who got on Facebook. And so very early adopter, uh, way back when it was all about poking each other. <laughs> I think you can still do that on Facebook, but... I wouldn't know. I just yeah, go and post yeah, something you... there and then I leave immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still am fairly engaged with Facebook, but it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of that quintessential, you know, it started out, it was fun, it was new, it was interesting, and then it started to devolve a little bit. And But again, I think we're at this touch point of all of us have examples of conversations that have gone awry. All of us are now, I think, pretty gun shy about getting into conversations and about, you know, actually a, a saying an opinion, even even in person, but certainly online. I've become a lot more like I will overthink everything I post and reformat it. Like I edit everything multiple times. Even after I post it, I'm like, oh, that was too too forward in this way, or maybe that comes across yeah. that way. And I'm like trying to be sometimes overly sensitive just because I'm like, I really don't want to get into it with somebody on the internet. And it's an inherently public forum. So it's like I... You, you can't really have, I mean, you, you can have something over direct message or something, but but on the whole, especially on a place like Twitter or or Facebook, like if you're if you're gonna have a even a, a respectful conversation with someone, you are still aware that mm. those replies can be seen by the entire website, and and then eventually could be quote tweeted and and dogpiled on by by people who you don't even know, and so there's there's sort of a sense of like weariness of I, I know I feel that of like 
I've just had some like overwhelming layers of self-awareness build upon me as I've lived on the Internet for 10 years to where now I am thinking through everything that I say really carefully because I'm like, you know, what would a stranger interpret about this who's not even part of the conversation that I'm having because this is a public forum? Yeah, yeah. And uh, sort of even for me with some of the stuff I post, it's, you know, everybody who's commenting on my posts in particular are people that I know in some capacity. You know, there's a good number of people who commented on my question for this podcast that were, you know, not people that I'm like close with or have any ongoing relationship, but at least they're like a friend of a friend or somebody that I have context for who they are. I mean, even within that world, there's a little bit of a, you've got a loose cannon or somebody who just uses the the platform a little bit more with a more cavalier attitude. And so sometimes they'll just say things and you're like, and then that, you know, this other person responds poorly to that. So a lot of times there is this risk of sort of the conversations and the comments starting to devolve a little bit just between people. There are ways, you know, I guess I'm kind of teasing a little bit of the the conversation that I'm particularly interested to hear your thoughts on Houston um, mm. with regards to, again, most of the answers and most of my sensibility about the internet specifically is that uh, I just don't think it's good. I don't think it. we can actually have healthy and you know helpful conversations online generally speaking and certainly for me i don't know how to do that with strangers you know it's hard enough to do it with people that i know but then you know you have a much more sort of public uh, anonymous uh, fan base engagement uh, than I do. And so I'd just be curious, you know, we both asked questions on our social medias. Yeah. Um, I know you got some responses on yours as well. So I'd be curious to just hear a little bit of, you know, what was the question you asked? What were some of the responses you got? But also just more broadly, in your experience, having a lot more of that engagement with complete strangers. Yeah. Um, I believe you've had uh, some really cool interactions with oh, strangers tons. on the internet. Yeah. And so I, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about sort of your your perspective and, and some of the stuff that you've encountered. Yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like I don't even know if I'm like pro-internet or anti-internet at this point. Like I feel like I... I used to see it, maybe I said this in like an early episode of this, of this show, I can't remember, uh, I, I kind of used to see the internet as a neutral tool that, that could be used for good or bad. Now I'm kind of like, no, it's rigged for bad, but you can <laughs> still fight to use it for good. And I have used it for good, I think, a lot uh, throughout my, my life. I mean, uh, the internet was a massive form of community for me throughout most of my teen years, you know, and in some ways that <laughs> might be sad. But also, I think, you know, a big part of it was the creativity of my YouTube channel and then meeting people through that, collaborating with people through that. I was actually the one who, um, I just remembered this recently. There's a, There's a whole group chat on Twitter that I have with, like, 30 other YouTube video essayists who all make videos and will, like periodically drop in the chat like some sort of like need that we have or hey guys go retweet this or do you guys know what's going on with the YouTube algorithm right now or that sort of stuff and I just remember the other day I was like oh I made that group chat <laughs> like hmm. and now all these people are always you know sharing each other's work together and stuff and and I was like I completely forgot that that was that happened and um hmm. yeah it, it, it I feel like there have been so many cool just ways to collaborate with people across the world and and meet other people through that and have interesting conversations with people. That's, you know, I could talk for hours about all the good experiences that I've had through the mm -hmm. internet and through YouTube especially. I guess the the main thing that I was thinking about as you were talking was I think one of the the, the terms that we might use a lot in this episode and even in our lives is like 
oh, we want people to be able to have conversations in a respectful way or we want to be able to have, you know, create uh, – disagree well on the internet or sort of, you know, have, have debate in a way that's, that's reasonable or that sort of thing. And I was kind of thinking to myself, is that, is that really what we want ultimately? Like, is our, is our dream purely sort of an intellectual, like, how can we make sure people have debates, intellectual debates in the most respectful way possible? You know, I feel like that's not really what I care about. I don't, I don't care about debates on the internet. You know, I, I think, I really care more about, and I think you care more about relationship on the internet, mm. and how can we, how can we share our experiences together in a in a respectful and and ultimately, you know, fruitful way. And so I, yeah, I was just thinking about the ways that sometimes, even with, I, I feel like there there can be a sense of, oh, why are you guys getting so emotional about it? You know, can mm. you just have a debate? without getting so emotional or why, why do you have to go so extreme about it or that sort of thing? You'll see like something like, you know, like maybe podcaster like Joe Rogan talking to some other guy like Ben Shapiro or something. And they'll talk about some big weighty concept like race or something. And then the comments of that podcast will be like, this is how conversation should be had. Two guys having a conversation about things that they disagree on without getting mad about it, you know? Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, it's easy for them to have a conversation about that because they're two white guys like, mm. and so they can, they can remove themselves from the situation enough to mm. be like, well, this is, you know, we can talk about this in a heady intellectual way yeah. in the abstract, but not, not in an actual, you know, experiential way. And so that's something I've, I've kind of felt recently has been like, I don't really care about encouraging people to have like intellectual debates where they turn off their emotions and learn to control themselves. Like, mm. I just want people to have authentic, meaningful connection on the mm, internet mm -hmm. and and some semblance of community or some semblance of sharing life with other people and conversations are important and maybe even debates are important and i think it's good to talk about you know how do we do that well but i don't think it's the only thing that i care about yeah i mean that's a great point too uh that you know it's not necessarily in my notes but that's the beauty of of this conversation and hopefully you know if you're listening you can weigh in on this as well as i always say on these episodes i i just really love hearing other people's perspectives but i think that there's this i think that's a great point of like healthy conversation doesn't necessarily mean no emotions mm. no getting worked up about things or you know like i, I think there's a little bit uh i, I want to tread cautiously on that the conversation of race but definitely there's uh, I think we tend, uh, us white folks tend to be very reactionary to the the emotion of the conversation without full, and then we, you know, sort of take it personally, and then it just becomes about centering our own experience. And it's yeah. like healthy conversation about these issues doesn't mean that the people that we're engaging with are not emotional or are not expressing mm. true anger or grief. In fact, it might mean giving space for anger and grief. Mm. And so I think there's this, false version of healthy quote unquote uh, conversation that's almost devoid of emotion of we just share facts and it's just about <laughs> facts you know facts over feelings and all of that and it's like that's a nice sentiment that doesn't bear uh, you know fruit on reality it's not really a true sent you know a, a true s statement um because so much of our understanding of facts is our emotional experience of those facts and our connecting those to other things that we were told. Um, and a lot of times we'll give weight to one base of knowledge over another based on who told us and whether we trusted that person. Well, why did we trust that person in the first place? Well, there's a ton of other experiential. Maybe we know them and we have this sort of trust and 
Um, or maybe they seem like they look or think like us, so we automatically implicitly trust anything they say. And so there's just a whole bunch of other layers to how we engage with conversation. And so I think it's a great point of like, healthy conversation is not devoid of conflict. Mm. And in fact, uh, conflict-free conversation is probably not actually as healthy as we think it is. It's a false form of health. And so then when the emotions do inevitably come to bear, when when you start to get into the um, nitty-gritty with, with a person, then suddenly you're like, all right, I'm out. I don't know what happened there. And so I think some of it is, you know, certainly there's a working on yourself and learning to, to not have a reactionary position when it comes to to conversations to hard conversations with people um, but I think it also is uh, it's about being patient and, and it's okay to have emotions like that's a fair amount of I don't like what you said is like I don't want to feel emotions I don't want to be emotionally invested in this and 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 for good reason because I'm afraid of losing a relationship here or even more so I think for a lot of us especially online I'm afraid of looking bad I'm afraid of quote unquote being on the wrong yeah. side of the yeah. issue and so then if you start getting emotional, I might have to feel bad about something and I don't want to feel bad about something. And mm. so I want to always position myself to be, to have the moral high ground or whatever. Um, just, just a whole bunch of stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, my, so I asked this question on Twitter a few days ago. I said, what's the most healthy, meaningful, or impactful conversation you've ever had on the internet? What were the factors that allowed it to be a positive experience instead of the typical toxic debate? I got, I got a few good responses. Um, one person said, no kidding, it was a week ago, and it was about The Last Jedi. We talked about everything we loved and everything that disappointed us, etc., and all in the most genuine and healthy way imaginable. Honestly, so emotionally cathartic to talk about Star Wars in a good way. <laughs> that was just good to hear. Um, someone Speaking else of said, divisive things. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the most divisive topic on the internet. One person said, I had a conversation with someone about the film Marriage Story, and we began to connect and talk about our upbringings and our families. And I think since we both adored the film, we were able to just talk about it kindly together. That's cool. Ethan Butler said, don't know if this counts, but I've had a lot of be beautiful conversations over Discord discussing art, life, religion, etc. The most powerful experience I recall having was a friend of mine helping me through some of the suicidal thoughts I had at the time. He challenged me by asking simple questions like, do you believe you're the victim of your situation or do you consider yourself the villain of the situation? In other words, he challenged how I viewed myself as I was struggling, which is an incredibly brave thing to do. Most people would just panic and tell me to stop, which could es escalate things, but instead he remained calm and aided me through my own self-conflict. Hmm. So that's really meaningful. And then this one said, this is from Joe Hoffner, every healthy, meaningful conversation I've had was with someone on the internet was with someone that I was already familiar with. It's a cliche, but some people truly don't understand that the anonymous internet person they're arguing with is a human. Mm. And I thought that was interesting because I think, I feel like the, I mean, obviously the internet sort of can tempt us to see the profile picture. It's almost like, like I've, I thought about it recently, it's sort of like driving. Like when you're driving, you just see the person in front of you as a car, as a set of headlights that you can get mad at. Mm. And when you're on the internet, you see someone as a profile picture that you can get mad at and not as a human <laughs> being. Though I also think even within certain older generations, like even kind of the upper tier of millennials or especially older than millennials, there can be a sense of like, because of how the internet was in the early days, uh, this idea of like, well, anyone who disagrees with me online is just a troll and maybe they're a bot, mm. you know? <laughs> and I think 
in my experience, or or you know, with an older generation, there's a sense of oh well, that could be a a pervert online who's luring you in, and maybe he's a creep secretly, and he's lying about everything about himself, you know. And and there was this sense, especially in the early days of the internet, like everyone you meet online could be someone other than who they say they are, and maybe they're you know trapping you in some scheme. And I, I think, especially among younger people now and people who have been on the internet more actively in the past ten years. There's more of a sense of like, that's not most people, the, the vast majority of people you will interact mm. with on the internet are real people and and are not trolls because even how do we define what a troll is? Is it mm. someone who disagrees with you? Is it someone who's saying mm. something kind of offensive? Like, is it a bot? And certainly there are bots. Certainly we've seen some of how that influences the internet, especially in elections and stuff like that. But but yeah, like it's, it, I, I think I've seen in the past several years of the internet far, far more actual, real, wounded people than quote unquote trolls or bots or, mm. or people who are not who they say they are or something like that. And so I, yeah, I think maybe a, that comment kind of made me think about maybe the, the first step of actually having conversations on the internet or actually having relationship on the internet is accepting that in all likelihood, the person that you're talking to is a real person. And mm -hmm. and that <laughs> is a pretty important prerequisite, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, too. To, I, I would love to. Uh, I'm sure there's studies out there or perhaps even we could conduct, conduct our own study because uh, most of my sort of friend group and the people that I spend time with are probably in a little bit more of that millennial uh, and older demographic. And then obviously you're living more in the kind of Gen Z uh, world and so how we each just because of how we experienced the internet um, as I've said before I think on the yeah. podcast even like I I do have memories pre-internet really existing at all and so it sort of came into being and then like Facebook was toward the end of high school for me that that even became a thing per personal computers it was like such a big deal going to college that it was now required to have a laptop because laptops were like that, why would you, you know, it was so foreign of a concept. <laughs> and obviously people who are older than me have an even bigger contrast. And it seems like, I forget, there's a there's a term for somebody who's born with the internet. You might know what it is, but it's sort of, yeah, I can't remember. But it's basically yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're, nat you're, you're a, a digital, digital native. native. Yeah, yeah, digital yeah. native, that's the term. Um, and so as a result, I think we found uh, in my experience that younger people than myself tend to actually have a healthier and clearer understanding of the good and the bad and the ugly of the digital age than than myself and, and older mm. because of some sense where you've already kind of gone through and you've like you, you it's a it's a native language so you've like improved in the engagement and the approach to it and so a lot of the answers that I got uh, on my question again you know as I'm skimming through the answers I'm like I don't think there's anybody that's uh, younger than late 20s um, that weighed in. And generally speaking, I think there was sort of a, a you know, negative, the internet is, it's better to be in person. I think there's, there's an objective truth to that, right? Like yeah. uh, the physical presence, we did a whole episode on sort of the value of proximal uh, living. Um, and so if certainly, I, I, you know, I don't think uh, you would espouse this idea that uh, that the, the, the digital equals physical relationship. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of ins and outs of both of those. But I, yeah, so I think there, you know, as I look through some of the answers that I got, certainly there was like 
in person or having a personal relationship with people does yield better results in a lot of cases. Um, I guess part of what I'm wondering is how much of that is just my generation didn't really know or learn how to do this well. So we kind of just lean on, we realize we don't know how to talk to strangers online. <laughs> and so we'll, we, we hardly know how to talk to strangers in person, but you know, you sort of lean more in uh, into the in-person aspect of it. And so, yeah, the question, again, I just asked a more broad question of just thoughts to weigh in on the, the conversational reality that we live in. And I got quite a few comments. Uh, it was sort of interesting too. Uh, part of the challenge of the internet is how the system of the internet influences and we we now have a better understanding of this we didn't for a long time you know we've mm -hmm. already referenced sort of the algorithms the positioning the fact that our brains are are hardwired to like sort of feed off of negativity one answer kind of pointed to this like it, it was good that we can perceive threats and you know like that's an important part of our our uh, internal psyche is being able to understand and identify threats quickly. But as a result, I think the companies that run social media discovered uh, that they make a lot more money when we're, when we are angry, they get a lot more engagement. They get a lot, you know, it's just, yeah. it's sort of sex and violence. Those are the things that sell. And so leaning more heavily on that. And actually they were a key part of changing how we talked to each other. And so it's all these things that I think when you become aware and you go into it with your eyes open, that's when it starts to become a tool that is useful and can be very nourishing. And even the conversations I've been able to foster on my social media, because A, I actually set it up for success and I've really worked to cultivate a space for that within the post itself, but there's also B, a, a pattern that I have. Um, there were a few times you know, maybe five, 10 years ago when I got into it and I learned my lesson, you know, the hard way. Um, but since then, I've been very, very deliberate and, and careful about using the tool in a positive way and trying to cultivate that kind of conversation in a space that typically does not lend itself well to that. So anyway, all that to say, um, there was, a, I think, a really good conversation and some really good thoughts uh, that came through uh, that I think provided a lot of just practical wisdom that people have. I, I might read just one or two of the answers that I received, but I kind of clumped them into groups of like, here's here's the general tone of what people were talking about. And so again, one of them was that when it comes to healthy conversation, even with people that you disagree with um, or have trouble getting along with, that in-person tends to be better Although in my experience, that's not a guarantee. Sometimes I think we sort of assume that, but then we carry over a lot of the, mm. so it's not just being in person isn't gonna solve it. Um, it's actually a lot of the same reasons, both in person and online, that our conversations are falling apart that don't actually have to do with the medium. But in person can yield better results because it's harder to hide behind the screen. And then, as I said before, tone matters so you can actually hear the intonation of the person. And then there were a number of answers that were just something to the effect of, how do you have good conversation? Actually listen, ask good, thoughtful questions, be slow to speak, have patience, you know, bite your tongue sometimes. There's just a lot of that kind of, you know, cliche perhaps, but there's a reason that we <laughs> come back to some of those mm. things. Um, and I, I, I don't know if we'll have time on this particular podcast, but something that, you know, again, we... We can't go a podcast without talking about Labrie, right? Um, again, Labrie Fellowship, it's an organization that has been very meaningful to both Houston and I, and is a lot of what I think helped me see, it, 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 like I spent a summer at their English uh, campus uh, and 
part of the the sort of fabric of a Labrie campus. I don't know what I'm calling it. It's not a college. It's like a retreat center. Branch. Branch. <laughs> um, is that they have they have lunch table discussions. So you sit around a table with actually a bunch of strangers because they're from all over the world and these are people that you just met mm -hmm. and you talk yeah. about things whatever the group wants to talk about. And they can be it can be really complicated and divisive things and and you also have perspectives from all over the world that are present at the table. And Labrie and the workers who work at Labrie are just really good at cultivating that conversation to go really well. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of the principles that, that we might be talking about here in a, in a few minutes of how to have good conversations, like, honestly, I picked up a lot of those from just observing Labrie mm -hmm. and how they cultivate some of those conversations. And I found that it's very effective in other uh, communities as well. Um, yeah, I, I feel like Labrie definitely was one of the first places that I felt like there was a sense of <laughs> my first time there, I was actually... I realized some of the ways that the internet truly had sort of infected my brain in mm. some ways to where I, the first few weeks I was at Labrie, I would hear people say certain things, or even I would hear myself say certain things in a lunch table discussion. And I would be like, oh boy, need to back down on that. Cause like Twitter wouldn't like that. Mm. <laughs> like that, that, that is, you know, if, if the, the timeline at large saw that statement, they would dogpile it immediately or they would, right. they would quote tweet that into oblivion. And, and kind of the, the beauty of it was, was truly having a safe space to express things that m might not be fully formed things that mm. might sort of, you're mm. just wrestling with. And yet at the same time, it was meaningful to have, a space where people could could sort of talk about those things mm. without fear and then be given pushback by other people at the table. And, and I think one of the things that the workers are really good at at Labrie is, you know, if, if they kind of can feel the conversation going in a way that's like, oh, well, that's a little bit unfair to that, you know, mm. particular that that person doesn't have a way to speak for themselves in this or that group doesn't have a way to speak for themselves in this or, you know, even even from a Christian perspective, like sometimes you know, there will be a person at the table who's really hardcore this theology or something, and they start really kind of preaching that. And the workers will be like, well, let's remember everyone at the table doesn't isn't necessarily, mm. you know, of that background. And even with, you know, Christianity as a whole, often many of the people who are at the table have had a Christian background, but not everyone has. And the workers do a really good job of saying, hey, let's let's remember at the table right now that not necessarily everyone is coming from your perspective on, on that being right or that mm. being, you know. And... Yeah, I've definitely found that helpful as just a guiding, a way to have those conversations in, in a graceful way. And it was challenging for me, too, to just be like, all right, I know the thing this person said might get dogpiled on the Internet, but I'm going to try and listen to them. Mm. And and even I might dogpile it on the Internet. Like I might be like, that's right. that is not I totally disagree with that. But I'm going to try and gracefully listen to them and actually see them as a human being and maybe push back a little bit, but not necessarily, mm. yeah, not not view it through that sort of like, oh, they need to be rapidly and quickly like corrected or rapidly and quickly like changed instantly kind of way. I think in some ways <laughs> it might be a point in favor of your old-fashioned in-person connections uh, because, it, you know, part of the gift of Labrie is that you're always looking the person directly in the eyes. You you have to live with them for a two-month period, and so you kind of have to sort out your differences mm. and make maybe your disagreements clear. 
But also, I think there's maybe an element of the internet that's like, well, when when you're espousing statements in person, having a conversation over lunch at a Victorian manor house in England, there's no sense of power involved there and there's no sense of permanence involved there because it's just like, well, we're just having a conversation over lunch and your words disappear into the ether after that unless mm. you're some politician who's immediately going to go pass a law or something. But for the most part, you're just talking to normal people who have opinions on things and sometimes those opinions you disagree with or, or agree with, but they're sort of just words in the air. But as soon as you bring social media into it, it becomes more of like, you know, you're writing things down in stone. And then you bring platform into the equation, which, you know, by and large, not, I mean, most people don't have a platform. But as soon as you do bring platform into the equation, it's like, all right, now there's a responsibility for your words. And I don't think that's wrong. You know, I don't think that's a, a bad thing at all. I think it's very important and it's a it's a crucial, you know, yeah, there, there are lots of celebrities and big figures who say things that are harmful to people and don't, you know, contend with the way that their massive, you know, whatever, 12 million follower following can interpret those things or the ways that those things will actually impact people. But, you know, I guess that's the way in which, like, the internet immediately brings power into the equation. It immediately brings permanence into the equation. And it is where, like, the in-person kind of transience of a place like Labrie or any conversation in person immediately sort of lowers the stakes in some ways, in a way that actually is somewhat helpful. And maybe that is why, like, I don't know, I, I've i appreciated some uh, people I followed on Twitter who, I, I followed a couple people who, like, they delete all of their tweets every single, like, <laughs> they, they set a 24-hour timer to delete their tweets after that day, so it is sort of still transient in some way, or, you know, People who have a, a – I've just started recently a close friends circle on Twitter that I then add some of my like Patreon people to where you know the only people who see it are like a, a limited pool of like 100 people. And so there's less of a sense of power and less of a sense of pressure and maybe a little bit more sense of transience, which actually helps with the mm. intimacy of the scenario and makes it a little bit less right. yeah, pressured. Well, and I think, again, that's where the trouble with the internet is that it's actually not something that most of human history, most of humans have had, that kind of platform, where we all kind of can stand, uh, you know, with a town crier, like, shouting our message in and permanently shaping reality in our some small way. And so I don't think we always realize how that changes how we talk to each other and, and the expectations we have of each other. Um, and especially now there's so much of, and again, it's like we, we'll pull things out of the past that you're like, it's it's objectively problematic that you said or did that. <laughs> but also then you look at context and you look at the reality that all of us, you know, I don't, this might be a little tangential, but um, my wife and I spend a lot of time just talking about parenting and young children and uh, there's this tendency, it was something that we grew up with and that sometimes we're surrounded by within more of the uh, Christian, conservative Christian um, sort of framework of you you kind of view, it's it's based on this idea of original sin. And I don't want to, again, I, I'm kind of responsible for the poten <laughs> potential for controversy on this podcast. So I guess, you know, send all your hate mail to me. But, but there's this idea that the child is born, the idea of original sin, 
uh, it's, I'm oversimplifying it, but a child is born into sin and therefore has a sort of sinful inclination. And I'm not necessarily outright disagreeing with that as a theology, but what that often results in is that you perceive your three-year-old's behavior as rebellion rather than they're tired, hungry, or even mimicking, they're simply mimicking something. Mm that they have seen a peer do or even your their parent. Mm. You've done or, or behaved in a way that now they are simply parroting, they're responding the way that they were that they were shown. Mm. And so I could look at that and be, obviously it seems a little ridiculous to uh, uh, sort of be like, when you were three, you said this word and that was very offensive. You know, it's like, obviously we're gonna have grace for a three-year-old, but even a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 23-year-old, like, all the way up to, to your 70s, there's a sense of like, we're still always formed and forming and like we're we're trying to figure some of this out. None of us are actually omniscient to know everything mm -hmm. and can articulate everything exactly well, exactly every time. And so a fair amount of good, healthy conversation is grace and patience with each other, realizing that I might misspeak sometimes. I see this all the time. I, I did a, a semester at linguistics, a linguistic school, um, and uh, so I'm always really fascinated by the sort of way that words function in language, and how words don't mean what they mean. Even the word racism, again, not going to get into the weeds on this right now, but that word can actually and does actually mean different things in different conversations in modern English. Mm. It can both mean and refer to internal prejudice against a person of a, a different skin color or culture, but it can also refer to the systems that generally privilege one group over another. And so by being in the one group that exists within that system, you are disproportionately uh, benefiting or receiving detriment uh, as a result of that yeah. system. So those are two different understandings of that word that often the term is not being defined in a conversation. And so it, it gets really confusing and really personal and divisive right away because that term hasn't been def defined at the outset of the conversation. That's just one example that comes to mind, but there are countless others where the word is actually words don't, just yesterday I've been using a word that I realized doesn't mean what I thought it meant. And that happens to me all the time where I'm like, oh, I just guess I never looked it up. I heard somebody use it and I thought that that's what that word meant. And now I look like an idiot. What was the word? Uh, it was the word endemic. Endemic. So it's a word that's been used uh, with in sort of contrast to pandemic. Yeah. So it, it means that it's, uh, that word actually means that it's uh, natural to a specific region. Hmm. Or it's sort of it, it's it becomes, yeah, yeah. but it's used with regards to diseases to say it is now just in this particular you know it becomes a, another one of the things that you can pick up like a I common see. cold yeah. kind of thing. So I was using it to mean to mean that it's baked in, like it's just it's endemic. You know, abuse is endemic to the system. You're like, well, that's I feel not like you've said that on this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I probably have used the word endemic in that way. So I apologize. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, please forgive me. Um, so it's just funny to me how often, you know, as somebody who's really careful about words, how often I fall into that. Um, and so a lot of what I've learned to do is just back up and ask the person to define their terms and realize that maybe our conversation has gotten off the rails from where it started. Um, because then it becomes more about winning the conversation rather than connecting and understanding the other person. When when you start to get off the rails and then you sort of dig your heels in, it's like now now you just don't want to lose the battle. Um, 
that definitely makes me think of the way that, I mean, Debbie and I interact. My wife, Debbie, is from Czech Republic and I'm from America. English is not her first language. And so we often get into, you know, we'll get into some sort of disagreement or some argument or some even just like a, a misunderstanding. And like my go-to response to her and her go-to response to me instinctually we kind of always resort to first before we actually get into any real conflict we go wait a minute did maybe we we're not using the same words accurately like maybe you don't know Mm. what that word means or maybe i misspoke and i used a word that you didn't understand and so it sort of creates this like this this pretext or like this prologue to the argument to, to where we can actually sort of even just we're not even intentionally but we're kind of defining our terms before we actually have reason to argue and half the time we find out that we didn't even disagree at all it was just a simple you know misunderstanding of words um obviously i don't think all disagreements are that way like some disagreements on the internet or in person are real disagreements and so it's not like a case of you know, every time you just get to the person's real intentions, you'll find out that they were sympathetic all along or you were really in agreement all along. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like sometimes people say things that are wrong <laughs> and sometimes it's OK to disagree with those people and it's OK to push back on them for saying things that are wrong. But, uh, you know, before you get to that, I think it's so important to actually ask questions. And yet I think most of the questions that we ask in debates on the Internet are purely like so are you saying this, you know, right. or, or, you know, trying to, it's not truly a question. It's just a question you're trying to ask to get them to, to, to say the thing that you deep yeah. down want them to say. And sometimes, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've, I've even in, been in situations where I'll like start typing a question and then I realize I'm like, do I really want to hear their answer to that? <laughs> like, do I actually want them? Like, I'll, you know, mm. you'll ask someone to, to say, uh, you know, so what's what what is so bad about this movie scene or something? It, it's so great. Why would you say it's bad? And then I think to myself, but I don't actually care what they think. I already think mm-hmm. it's great. I'm not going to change my mind if they give me all the reasons. I'm just going to start responding to all the reasons that they said and how stupid they are. Right. You know, and that's that's when, you know, things are too far gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's another you know thing that we picked up from Labrie is they have a, a bit of a mantra that a phrase that's been really helpful of mm. like honest answers for honest questions. And you're like, what is an honest question? An honest question is not what you know what you just described as a dishonest question. Yeah. Do you actually hold this question? Are you actually genuinely curious about the answer? Or are you just trying to get something out of mm. this person or, or manipulate the conversation? So learning to ask honest questions, but then honest answers, probably the most honest answer to a lot of things is just, I don't know, is embracing your ignorance and it's okay to not know things and it's okay to have been wrong about things and to seek to grow in those things. And that's a lot of, I think, what on the larger a sort of uh, scale of, of conversation and, and culture right now, we've lost our ability to ask honest questions and give honest answers. Um, and in many ways, because honesty is not rewarded um, and is often, you know, you'll, you'll rec- like I've, I've had this experience a number of times where I will uh, make a calculated choice to reveal that I don't know something mm. um, and then be chewed out or, or sort of put down as a result of my ignorance about something because we just pride ourselves on mm. on knowing everything or if there's a pride in ignorance it's sort of a I'm happy I don't know that and it's like neither yeah. of those are honest thoughtful genuine ways what's well, the trying things. to create something trying to say things in a way that could always be retweeted or say things in a way mm. that it could could always be uploaded as a clip on YouTube and and you know like yeah. I think about 
I mean, you'll you'll see countless clips on YouTube of Ben Shapiro destroys liberal snowflake right. at SJW University or whatever. And so many of these like college, I mean, that's outside of the internet sphere, but so many of these college mm. debate settings, you know, are ultimately, you know, you'll have some a person on the stage and they'll debate with college students on, you know, who are out in the auditorium and get a microphone and ask them a question or something. Yeah. And first of all, yeah wow how what a what a a high standard you're debating college students the easiest people to destroy in a debate (laughs) but also like there's a sense of with so many of these things the goal is to not actually have a conversation it's just to humiliate the other person ultimately to say the most Mm. devastating insult that will get a bunch of you know claps in the room in person and then get a bunch of retweets online later and so there's a sense of even in that real life scenario performing mm. for the internet in a way that could mm. be retweeted later. And I think that's, yeah. that is a way that sort of the internet has infected our public mm. discourse in a way that can be kind of insidious sometimes right. because we're just always on camera, always on stage in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I feel like I, I, we've talked about it before and we're getting late into the podcast here. So I don't want to start a whole nother conversation about, you know, I think I've mentioned before sort of the, um, the, the, the pastor who, preaches this sermon and it's clear that he knew that this clip of his sermon was going to be perfect for social media. You know, just that type of stuff that changes who you're actually talking to at all, that now the pastor is not talking to the people in the room. He's talking to this unseen internet of, you know, you're trying to build a fan base or a brand or whatever. Anyway, I don't want to get in the weeds on that. I do want to just shift in sort of the last part of our conversation here to talk just briefly about I know, again, you have a lot of experience with uh, Twitter. Twitter's a great example of how to do conversation poorly. Or well, sometimes. And in particular, or well, sometimes, but it's a, it's mostly known for being, yeah. its reputation is not great. But, you know, I'm aware and I'm just engaging a little bit with what, uh, with the tweets that you've, you know, put out there and just the way that people respond. It's like, it's clear that with like, even, even with movies, that we can't seem to have civil conversations. Yeah. And so it's a really interesting, I think talking about movies is an interesting part of this because in our minds, in my mind at least, you're like, movies are innocent. Movies are just a fun entertainment. And yet sometimes the mm. most divisive, vitriolic kinds of language are coming from a conversation about about the, you know, the Star Wars films or whatever. And so Again, because of how long this episode already is, I don't want to necessarily look too in depth as far as like film specifically. Um, But I do want to just reflect a little bit on why is it that we get worked up about art pieces Mm. specifically, or a a sort of Christian equivalent might be the the age old uh, debate between hymns and modern choruses when we sing songs. Why does that become a, a sort of this is the catalyst for a church splitting. You know, it's that kind of, you know, these divisive congregational meetings where everybody's yelling at each other. Like I've I've not personally been a part of them, thankfully, but I've been at churches where those things have happened. How how are we even doing that in a church? And why why do we get so worked up about some of these things? And to sort of answer, I guess it's not an honest question because I do have a, at least one thought, <laughs> is, and this is actually, there, there was one comment that, that actually a couple comments that talked about this um, concept of separating a couple comments on my on my question, separating the idea from the person. 
or separating even yourself from your from your experience of something mm -hmm. and realizing i think sometimes why we get so worked up about things is I, you know so for instance my favorite movie is tree of life by terence malick it is a very art house not the most accessible film <laughs> and i remember i would show it to people and it would be a i would be offended if they didn't like it or if they got bored even though I got bored <laughs> when I first watched it, I remember thinking, this movie is amazing, but this third act is a little long. <laughs> Why was I getting worked up about that? And I think a lot of it comes down to, I had a personal transcendent emotional experience with this thing that now it feels as though if you reject this thing that's actually outside of me that I didn't even make, if you reject that, then somehow you are rejecting me. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with ideas where, okay, I am a person who espouses this form of governance or this approach to race in America, or and then suddenly now the opposing person is going to ascribe all of this extra, okay, now that means that you believe all these other things, and this means that you are a fundamentally morally corrupt person, and you draw in all this other stuff, even though probably what that person is doing is they are parroting something that they heard from somebody that they trusted that sounded good to them, but also are, are believing or embracing ideas that are less disorienting. That it's something that I'm like, I don't know what to believe, so that makes sense, so I'm gonna cling to that, and, and that, that feels less threatening. Mm. And then you get into a context where now you have an opposing view, but it's coming at you from this very like personalized attack and so now you get on the defensive and then it just gets, it devolves into something that almost has nothing to do with the topic itself. And that's the, you know, it's like, I've seen it on your own Twitter where you'll be like, I didn't like this movie. And people will be like, I hope your wife divorces you. And you're like, <laughs> what is wrong with people? Yeah. Why, why go so quickly to the personal? Oh. And I think a lot of it is because we just, I mean, some of that's just the internet too. And people like to be really... Uh, extra mean, I guess. I don't know. But I think it's a, we get so personally wrapped up in these things that it's not that we should be completely separate from them, but to recognize that nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10 maybe, they are not actually attacking us. They are attacking the idea or they are even trying to defend their own idea because they are nervous about their own belief. Like it's, I, I don't know if I believe this, so my gut reaction is to, uh, you're stupid. You know, like that's, it's it's actually a, a sort of reflection of the insecurity of the person who's attacking you. And yeah. so most of our sort of conversations that fall apart, it actually has nothing to do with you until you start participating in that same way. And then it becomes about you because you're bringing your own insecurities to the table. I don't know, that's a lot. I'm trying to wrap up a lot mm. quickly, but. I, I feel like there's a, there's a paradox of it, which is like, in some ways, there there's a, a tendency on the internet to take everything as a personal attack, and that can be destructive. Like, I remember one time there was a some um, superhero fan who tweeted a clip of the new Ant-Man movie on Twitter, and I quote tweeted the clip and was sort of poking fun at how bad the clip looked. And then this particular user's fan base started – these were the people who told me my wife should divorce me because I didn't like the new Ant-Man. <laughs> and they were really mad at me for directing so much hatred towards this user, towards this person. Mm. 
And I was and I was like, I didn't I didn't say anything about this person who posted the clip. I'm just talking about the clip. You know, <laughs> why are you mm-hmm. taking it so personally? I'm talking about you know, and so there is a sense of like, well, maybe we shouldn't take things so, like maybe we can just talk about ideas or that sort of thing. But then I think there's there's another angle to that where it's it's true that everything is personal. It's true that you know when you quote tweet someone that in some way like you know you are because they had shared that clip in earnest right and i'm i'm mocking the clip and maybe there is an implication that like oh this person Mm -hmm. is dumb for liking it even though i didn't say that and and i think there is a sense of you know when we're talking about how much we love a certain movie or love a certain scene people really want to turn these conversations into oh it's just about the craft it's just about the the objectivity of this scene is good or bad but so much of that is carried by the personal experiences that we've had with that mm-hmm. art. And I think separating that or trying to get rid of that is bad. It, it, that's that's anti-art. That's And sure, there are conversations that it can be meaningful to talk about the objective filmmaking of something, the quote-unquote objective filmmaking of something. How do we, you know, talk about just craft, you know, on a technical level or something like that. But so much of these things are are influenced by the personal experiences that we've had with movies. And I'm just so much more, at this point in my life, so much more interested in, especially in conversations about art, interested in hearing about the personal experiences that people have had with something um, rather than arguing about the objective quality of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and assuming that this is inherently personal and that's actually good, you know, and... So I do think, you know, in some ways, maybe we shouldn't take things so personally that we're willing to tell someone to divorce their wife because we we perceive that we are under attack because they're they're criticizing a movie because the movie is not us. The movie is not you. Right. And I think if you are so if you feel so synonymous with this movie is me and criticizing it is criticizing me or even this, you know, this label is me in any capacity and criticizing this is criticizing me. Maybe you need to back off a little bit and learn to be your own person outside of that particular thing. Mm. Mm. But I think there is some truth in like remembering when we're criticizing things that there are people Mm. associated with those things and there are people that have felt something around that thing. And especially regarding, you know, certain political movements and stuff like that. Like there are real people who are impacted by this thing. And when you talk about it in just the sphere of ideas it's really easy and, you know, it can be like, oh, let's just have a, a reasonable, logical debate about this. But real people are implicated in this issue. Hmm. And so it's important to, I think, even on the Internet, remember that people are involved and remember that that there is a, a realness to that. Um, and that's hmm. not bad. That's not something to escape. That's not something to be like, how do we hmm. how do we get the people out of the scenario? No, like that's that's part of being human is is actually remembering that when you talk about these things, when you talk about anything you're talking about human beings. And so, yeah. It does remind me now at the end of our episode uh, that the whole reason I wanted to have this conversation was to talk about uh, the lost art of sincerity, (laughs) which we haven't even touched on at all. Um, Basically just I'm a sarcastic person and I've been trying to cultivate a more sincere approach to things and not just jumping right to the joke, but actually be uh, genuinely curious and genuinely honest. And, you know, I I think it's interesting. I was going to talk a little bit about my experience with that is that people then then I actually become more gullible and more trusting um, and that it's okay to be gullible. Sometimes we put people down for not knowing something that they were just told and you're like, well, I'm trusting you as an authority is like the child, you know, it's like they're 
trusting you as an authority so you don't make fun of them for being gullible or for believing something that maybe wasn't true. Mm. Um, and so just having more grace for ignorance and even celebrating ignorance that it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful, beautiful, one of the most intelligent things that you can do is to be to admit to ignorance, to not knowing something and not making some, up, uh, some answer up just so that you can impress people or not not be seen as ignorant or whatever. And so um, obviously we're at the end of the podcast here, so I don't want to uh, go into that. But uh, I just, uh, yeah, the value of being sincere uh, in, a, in a world that is very cynical mm. and sarcastic right now. Um, anyway, this has been a great conversation. Yeah. Obviously, we could continue to talk about it. There's I feel like more there's so I'm many sure more say. aspects to it. Yeah, that we could do a whole sequel episode or something. We could do a whole episode yeah. about sincerity. We could do a whole... I, I've been reading this book called It's Complicated, uh, I think it's called The Social Lives of Networked Teens. And it was written in 2014 by a lady named Dana Boyd. Um, and she's just like a sociologist researcher. And I, I saw the title and I was like, that's going to be condescending towards teenagers. And then I started reading it because it had been recommended by a YouTuber that I really like, who I think is really insightful. And I've, I think it's brilliant stuff. And it's highly empathetic towards the world that teenagers and young people are living in in the digital era it's not sort of talking down to them it's actually more talking to adults who might be cynical about their generation or adults who might be cynical about the internet era speaking into kind of the ways that this is our public square in some sense and that's that's a meaningful thing that we have to figure out how to engage with and yeah i i feel like there's so many things that we could touch on we could t touch on you know the responsibility of a person with a big platform how does that work mm -hmm. talk about you know the the ways that that can be um, used wisely or, or unwisely could talk about you know different platforms and how they vary and how we communicate with each other, but yeah for now I think this is a, a good place to stop. If anyone wants to yes. respond to this episode, there is a yeah. uh, feel free to send us an audio message that we could play on the next episode. That's speakpipe.com/artwithinpod, and that's a great way to get in touch. You can also talk to us on the Substack app or just the Substack website. Go subscribe at artwithin.substack.com. And then, you know, we're, we're on social media as our own selves. All of that is linked in, in the uh, description below. But thanks for being here, guys. We are always just thrilled to be able to have these conversations, have these intellectual conversations without emotion involved. <laughs> On the internet. You've been doing, this has been the, the episode where you just do all the voices. <laughs> it's like the fifth time that you've got embodied some uh, sarcastic Muppet voice. This is the, pro yeah. yeah, when we do an episode in the morning, I'm at my most Muppety. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks everybody for tuning in. And uh, as always, definitely let us know if you have more thoughts. Uh, where, you know, where should we go with this conversation? What are some other uh, avenues that we can explore uh, with you as well. So thanks for tuning in and we will talk at you next week. See ya.